Hi, I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, healthy-ish lifestyle architect, body joy seeker, and French fry activist. And you're listening to 100% healthy-ish. Here's the thing. As a naturopath and an intuitive eating health at every size health coach, I have seen every angle and end of the health conversation. And after years of clinical and coaching experience, I've developed a framework for feeling good and having fun that I know you're gonna love. To be healthy-ish, we move beyond the boring basics and consider some ish you have never thought of before when it comes to your health. Are you ready? It's gonna be fun. Let's go. Okay, today we are tackling the biggest question I get of all. I have covered it on the podcast before, but I wanted just to go over it again for people who are new, who haven't been around. Um, And then I think it's always good to revisit these things. Sometimes we have slightly different perspectives or thoughts on it. So today we are talking about weight. How do you know what your best weight is? How can you care about your weight without becoming beholden to it or, or, you know, making your entire life serve the purpose of managing weight? How can you care about health and let go of obsessing about weight? These are all the questions that people ask me most often. And so that's what I want to talk about today. If it brings up anything for you, um, well, first of all, I'll just say content warning. We're talking about weight. So if that bothers you, you know, if it's something that that affects you negatively, don't listen. Um, and if it brings up anything for you or any new questions for you that you want to talk about more specifically, feel free to leave me a voice note. There's always a link in the show notes where you can leave me a voice note or you can email me hello at foodfreedombodylove.com. Let's dive right in to today's topic, which is all about weight. I want to cover three main areas. I want to talk about how do I know what my best weight is? So that's one of the biggest questions that I get. How do I know if I am at my correct weight? If my, if, if this is right and it's just like, you know, maybe depending on your age, your body's shifted somewhere along the way and you're trying to sort out like, is this? just the new happy place that my body wants to live or am I not in my happy body? And is there, is there the possibility that my body does want to, or need to change in some way? So that's the first thing. The second thing that I want to talk about is how can we learn to accept the body that we're in How can we reconcile wanting to live from a place of acceptance and surrender and ease, but also wanting to feel like you look good in your body, right? So you're like, okay, you know, you sort through the, where's my best weight going to be? And you accept where you are, you're working on it or whatever, but you're also like, maybe you're not feeling like you love the way you look just yet. So I want to cover that. And then the last thing is I want to talk about the difference between pursuing weight loss and pursuing health. And like, do they ever gel? Do these paths ever cross and interconnect or not? And what does that all look like? Okay. So three things we're going to cover. The first thing is what is my best weight? And I'll just say it as simply and clearly as I can. And then we can talk about all the caveats on the, and all the tricky bits. 
When it comes to weight, it's as simple as this. Your best weight is the weight you end up at when you're eating in a way you enjoy and moving in a way you enjoy and living a life that you truly enjoy with flexibility and lots of room for quote unquote mistakes in eating. Your best weight is the weight you end up at when you're eating and moving and living in a way that makes your body feel good and is in line with your values and all the things that you most want to get out of life. Wherever your body lands, that's your best weight. But then we make it hard. Or, you know, probably better said, our culture, the culture we live in makes it hard. Because we've been taught to believe that our body should be smaller than they are. We continue to use an archaic, literally archaic tool, which is BMI, to measure our healthfulness and appropriate weight. We resist the changes associated with age or major life events, like pregnancy, birth, perimenopause, just aging. We're taught to resist it. We're taught that if our body changes, it's proof that we've done something wrong. And we've been taught to believe that weight dictates health, that they're one and the same thing. So we layer on beliefs that complicate the simple truth. That when we make peace with food and movement and we let go of unrealistic body ideals, our bodies naturally find their happy place. And we'll talk about the health piece in a moment. But the other thing that I have noticed that I would like to add to the conversation that I don't think I've really talked about before is that for many people, finding a peaceful place with food is very difficult. And the reality is that for the most part, we've been offered up two things. You've been offered up dieting or or healthy lifestyle plans that are in fact dieting. They're quite restrictive and difficult to stick to, or you've been offered intuitive eating and intuitive eating. I'm, I'm, I love, like, I love internally led eating, competent eating, intuitive eating. I've been a coach and a proponent of these eating styles for 10 years and counting. But for many people, there's not enough direction there. And if they're dealing with health irritations or concerns or challenges and they need to be a little more intentional or a little more thoughtful or put in a little bit more effort when it comes to food in order to genuinely find a place of peace and ease that feels good in their physical body, they're left completely stuck and stranded with no models, no frameworks, no one to lead the way. It's just no man's land, right? And so this is where I have found in my work that many people get stuck where there are still a lot of question marks because their their relationship with food and movement doesn't feel fully easeful and peaceful and enjoyable and healed. And so because it doesn't feel like it's fully there, because there are so many question marks, there are many question marks around whether or not they're in the body they should be in. And so healthy-ish, the work that I do is aimed toward clearing away all of the thoughts that are getting in the way, 
the final behaviors that are getting in the way. It's about fully understanding all of the food and movement behaviors that you engage in and learning to accept the things that are actually just going to be true to you, that are authentic to you, that are part of how you live and enjoy living and, and, and cleaning up or fine tuning areas where there's room for growth. So TLDR, too long, didn't read or too long, didn't listen. I don't know what it is on a podcast. TLDR, your best weight will change through your lifetime. Your best weight is a range and it's a result of genetics and environment and some lifestyle. And your weight will find its happy place when you are well-fed, moving your body and enjoying your life. But the hardest part is going to be A, actually making peace with food and movement and finding a way to engage with these things that feels good in your physical body and also in your mind and emotions. That is tricky and most people need help with it. And then it brings me to the second piece of this podcast, which is like, your body, the second hardest piece is that your body might land, your weight might land in a place that you're not happy with or that you don't like. And that could be because of the next two things actually that I'm going to talk about. One is because what you've been trained to believe is beautiful is really different than what you see in the mirror. And, and You've been taught that that's your personal failure. That's something that you have gotten wrong. But the reality is that like 95% of people don't meet the beauty ideals that we have set for us, for ourselves right now. And then the second thing is that you might have concerns about health because we have learned a lot of inappropriate things about health and weight. So let's get into the second piece of the puzzle that has to do with like, how do I accept but also care about how I look when it comes to my body. So I get it. You want to accept your body and your weight. You know, you might be at that place where you're ready to do those things, but you also want to feel like you look good. You want to feel good in and about your body. And you're under the assumption that your weight and shape are just a barrier to that, that your body has to change so that the way you feel about your body can change. And I just want to do, I need to do a full podcast on this, but I just want to insert here because I do think that there are some people who might listen to this and say, well, can we just not care about our bodies at all? And that, and if that is a reality for you, you could skip over the second portion of this podcast, right? Like if you are in a place where you just don't care about how your body looks, or you are genuinely like that is your genuine desire to not care at all. I think that in some body acceptance or body positive spheres, that's the goal. Um, in my experience, it's not a reality for most people. Like I have the belief that as human beings, we are drawn to beauty, that it's an inherently important part of who we are, that it's one of the things that makes us human is this desire for creativity and creation and beauty and art and music and how all of these things fit together. And aesthetics is a part of that. But what I'm going to talk about today, like what I want to, what I want to lean into 
is that when it comes to our bodies, the real problem is not caring about enjoying the way our bodies look. It's that the definition of the right body has been so rigid that like 95% of us are excluded from it. <laughs> and like, that's the problem, right? So if you're in that place where you're feeling like your body needs to change so that you can feel better about how your body looks, then I have three words for you. Meredith Gray's shoes. I am no longer, but for, for a very, very, probably far too long time, was an inexplicably and resolutely Grey's Anatomy fan. I just have lost it in the past maybe five or six years. But remember those good old days? Remember the first seasons of Grey's Anatomy? How good it was. It was so good. It was so, so good. And I don't know how many years ago now, many years ago now, um, I'm watching an episode when I was still a huge fan and Meredith Grey left the hospital. I'm going to do that. She left the hospital and she went on a date. So this is post, I feel like spoiler alert, but also if you don't know that Derek dies in Grey's Anatomy, like that's on you, you know, get caught up. <laughs> so she, she goes on a date and it's, you know, super exciting. Like I love seeing the fashion choices for these characters when they leave the hospital, when they're like at a dinner party at somebody's house or it's the holidays or a wedding. Um, and I was super excited to see her outfit until I saw the shoes and I saw these shoes and I thought like, these are maybe the ugliest things I have ever seen. Like why this woman only leaves the hospital twice a year. Why would the costume designer director, why would they put these shoes on her? How did they get this job? I was like personally offended by these shoes. Like it's a moment for her and you put her in these ugly shoes. And I wish I could show you a picture of them, but the best way that I can describe them is that they're a pair of shoes that cover up a lot of like a, a heel, a block heel that cover up a lot of your foot. So almost a booty, but not a booty. It's a shoe. And then there's like a V on top, a little shallow V. So these shoes are covering like a lot of your foot. There's a little shallow V and they're somewhere in between a shoe and a boot. I think hopefully you can picture what I'm talking about. And then I would also like to quickly say that I currently own not one, but two pairs of these super ugly shoes, a flat and a kitten heel. <laughs> so what happened? How did I go from thinking these were the ugliest things I've ever seen and like being so disappointed by seeing them on her in this show to owning them? And it's, you know, the funny thing is that what we find beautiful and desirable is both learned and changeable. Learned and changeable. I am willing to bet that you are of the belief when you look at your body in the mirror and if you're anything like me, you see your belly or you see your bum or you see your thighs, you are of the belief system when you think a bad thought about those body parts, that it's because your body parts are wrong. Like, ugh, gross. They look so terrible. It's a fact. They look terrible. But I am here to suggest that what you find beautiful and desirable is both learned and changeable. 
after seeing the shoes on Meredith, I saw them in magazines and on Pinterest and on other women that I greatly admire. I started to see these shoes everywhere and they stopped being novel and started to feel familiar. And along with familiarity, I had the story, I developed a story about the types of women that wear these shoes. These women are smart and fashion forward and innovative and successful and happy. And so I started to like and want the shoes. Fashion teaches us this over and over and over again. There's bell-bottom jeans and then boyfriend jeans and then low-rise jeans. They were so hideous and we all wore them. And then skinny jeans. I swore for years I would never wear skinny jeans. And now they're my preferred jean. And then we're back to baggy boyfriend jeans. And like, don't even get me, because I'm an apple shape. Don't even get me started on the high-waisted jean situation. I own them. And they're like, not even that comfortable, but I love the look of them. And the bottom line is this, you find the things that you see regularly, things that are associated with a story that you like and desire, desirable. So you may find yourself challenged to see your body as beautiful, desirable, or, you know, dare I say fashionable because you haven't seen your body represented and likely haven't seen it in any photos anytime recently. And double likely when you have seen your body represented in the media, it wasn't represented kindly or compassionately. And this is, it, this is slowly starting to change, but you know, the past few years don't cancel out the last 10 plus decades. If you want to learn how to work compassionately with your body, your mission is to change the story you are telling about your body and what she represents. You need to practice seeing your body over and over and over again and seeing the bodies of others in a wide range of shapes and sizes in order to begin to see the beauty in diversity. So you know, just like with the, the simple concept of weight, the concept is simple, but as always, the work is not. The definition of looking good is completely subjective and completely influenced by what you see and the stories that are told in the media and culture around us. We are taught what looks good and we can teach ourselves to see our own bodies differently. Um, I will also interject that this work is going to be very different for those in different size shapes and bodies. It is so much harder and different to do this work. The larger you are and the more isms are layered onto your identity. Um, Virgie Tovar, I'll just, I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes, but Virgie Tovar, um, someone that I have learned a great deal from has a wonderful article on the three levels of fat phobia that's really helpful for understanding this if you want to dive into it more. But where most of us can connect is on how we see ourselves. And yes, how the world sees us and how systems are set up to keep people separate based on body size, those are very real issues. In this episode, I'm talking about the intrapersonal level. 
how you see yourself. And you can work to see yourself differently. And you can do that through changing up your social media feed and getting your body in pictures and starting to actively consume TV and movies and online content that that includes body diversity. But I will say that one of the biggest stories that we use to prove or justify or validate the demonizing of large bodies is the health story. So this is the third thing I want to talk about today. And then we'll wrap up the weight conversation for now. This is like an appetizer and a mousse-bouche. There is like so much more under each of these things. And to be honest, I prefer to work with people individually because the path for different people is so different depending on the bodies they're in, the identities they hold, the experiences that they've had and what their goals are when it comes to taking care of their bodies. But this is a really good primer. So, you know, obviously there's stories about how our bodies look, but the way that we continue to justify the stigmatization and the demonization of bodies is through health language. So let's get into that. Another of the questions that I get most often is like, but can I pursue health and weight loss at the same time? And the answer is some people can pursue both health and weight loss without negative side effects, but it's rare. Most people like I'd say 90% of the people that I've worked with eventually hit a point in the journey when pursuing weight loss as we currently know and understand it goes left and the pursuit of health takes a hard right. There is a literal fork in the road. I'm sure you've been there and it's likely that you didn't think twice before taking a left down the weight loss path. You did it because you were taught that pursuing weight loss is healthy and that because the negative side effects of of dieting and restriction, things like low energy and out of control appetite, food obsession, binge eating, an intense increase in emotional eating, just to name a few, because the negative side effects of dieting and restriction have always been presented to you as your personal failure not your body screaming at you like, hey, look over here, I need more food. Feed me some carbs, please. Stop running away, try this path instead. Like, because these side effects of dieting and restriction have always been presented as a personal failure, you likely didn't even notice the overgrown path of food ease and possibilities slightly to your right. The people I work with often ask me how it's possible to achieve health when they stop actively trying to lose weight through restriction. And the answer is this, the moment you stop trying to intentionally lose weight is the moment you start pursuing health. That doesn't mean your body will never change. That doesn't mean you're stuck. But when you stop going left at all costs, you start listening to your body and you develop the awareness, the ability to see an alternative path. 
without all the diet culture noise, brainwashing you into ignoring your body, you open yourself up to the internal signal signals of, of hunger and fullness and satiation that will lead you towards stability and well-being. And again, there's stickiness in here because the, the path to health is so much bigger. Like, first of all, the food and movement stuff is hard enough. And most people need some help and some coaching to actually find a way to eat intuitively or from a place of internal alignment. But then also there are so many more components to health that are like fun and interesting and incredibly important that get forgotten about and overlooked and undervalued. But to sum it up, you know, giving up on intentional weight loss is the first step toward healthy-ish. From there, healthy-ish in whatever way it's available to you is built upon the foundation of consistently listening to your body, paying attention to hunger, fullness, satiation, learning how to eat in a way that feels good to you mentally and emotionally and physically. It's about connecting the dots like we've talked about already between the many areas of your life that affect and contribute to your overall well-being and sense of place and goodness in the world. And if you have bigger health concerns, the good news is from this place, you are going to make the best possible decisions when it comes to nutrition and movement and health behaviors. When you are far down that, that weight loss path, and all you can think about is cutting calories or getting macros right or cutting out certain food groups. You are cut off from the possibilities that are available to you when it comes to managing health conditions. So that is, those are the three things that I wanted to make sure that I, you know, I started the conversation on when it comes to weight. Again, there is so much more to this conversation, but this is the foundation from here. We can build from here. We can begin to see and look at and approach weight and our bodies and health really, really differently. All right. That's it for today. Stay tuned for our next episode on biohacking for babes. It's going to be amazing. Um, and then I'm hoping to get back to my regularly scheduled programming of um, some healthy-ish hacks and interviews and a whole new series with incredible, amazing, um, just really interesting women who are trying to find their magical formula for healthy-ish.